Yeah, we had someone following you on the way here with a uh, long-distance microphone. I saw him. He got nothing because I don't talk to myself. That's a good point. I didn't think yeah. of that. We should have had someone else talking, talking to, to you me. at, at yeah. the same time. All right, well, we know for next time. Over a hill and under a misty mountain, deep within the unceded Musqueam territory of Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm Doug Vandalay with another episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. You can follow the show on Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist and pester me at Doug Vandalay. Hello to everybody listening on CITR 101.9 here for the first 30 minutes of the show. A satirist edging ever closer to reality, I'm joined today by John from the Vancouver Glass. How's it going, Kevin? <laughs> I like that. John from the Vancouver Glass. How's it going, Kevin? Um, a satirist. I like that. That's the nicest way someone I think has ever described me. What are some of the other ways some people have described you? A pleasant human being. And satirist is nicer yeah, than I that? Yeah, I think satirist is higher than that. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it that. It makes me feel like a professional. We first got in contact when I messaged you asking about the Vancouver Glass. For the listeners who don't know, uh, how would you describe it? The Vancouver Glass, simply put, is basically, it's a satire publication similar to The Onion, similar to The Beaverton. Essentially, I take real life, twist it just a little bit, and hopefully somebody laughs at it. That's kind of my mandate for the Vancouver Glass. It's it's not real. Please don't think it's real. I mean, so, some of those headlines get a, a little too close to reality sometimes. Sometimes I feel um, that's what makes them funniest. And if they're super realistic, it's almost kind of sad when people can look at that and go, oh my God, that's is that possible? Because it really shouldn't be. A lot of those times it's, it's, it's a joke. And if people think it's real, that usually means something's wrong with something else. Well, that's that's the point of uh, satire. I, I think guess, so. To begin with, yeah. Until you start going into clickhole territory. Yeah. Have you ever considered doing something like that? Um, I think the Vancouver Glass is enough on my plate, and it's already hard enough. And that's why I only put out one a week because yep. it's uh, it's hard work as it is. So I'll keep doing what I've got practice doing at least. And how did that get started? I was bored, and I was like, I need something to do. I need some kind of creative outlet, some kind of new thing to do. Um, I'm not a painter, so I can't paint. I'm not a sculptor. I can't sculpt. But I was like, what if I you know, make a comedy type website? I'd always wanted to do that. But the Beaverton doesn't just hire people because you say, hey, I want to try this. And the Onion doesn't even get back to you. So I was like, I'll make my own thing. So I just kind of put together a few headlines that I thought might be funny. And it was right around uh, April Fool's when I kind of had the idea. So I was like, maybe these could be like April Fool's jokes. And then by the time I had like 20 of them, I was like, maybe this should just be a full website that I do and then I just kind of launched the website and I was like maybe I'll do it for a year and it's been a year and a half so maybe I'll do it for two years who knows who knows what was your first article the first article I wrote was uh I'm gonna have to try and remember exactly how it was worded uh I think it was last thing Vancouver needs is a satire paper and that was my introduction to Vancouver that's and perfect I, I think nobody clicked on it because I mean it was the first article right nobody clicks on the first one but it's on there somewhere buried deep in the archives it's there What's been your most popular article? By far, I mean, if we're going to go by clicks, which is how I measure, I have to try and remember the exact wording of it here, uh, Vancouver parking meters now accepting tips. Oh, yeah, I saw that one on your website. My personal favorite is high-density housing coming to Spanish banks. That one's uh, that one's a close second for most popular, but uh, the one with the tips, it like went super viral around the world. So it, it's like if my second top one is here, my top top one is here. And for those who can't see me, I did a little space between my hands. It's quite a large space, actually. So the, the, the tips one just took off and flew miles, miles high. It'll never be caught. 
But uh, the second top one is, I believe, the uh, high-density housing coming to Spanish banks with the RVs toppled on top of each other. Yeah, for those of you who can't see, I mean, head online to... uh, It's not vancouverglass.ca because that is a glass supplier. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) They might have gotten that domain before me. It's thevancouverglass.com. So you're the the, they're just a. Yeah, I'm thevancouverglass.com. And I think I own the Google results if you type in like Vancouver Glass. There's actually a company called vancouver glass that are like a glass supplier yeah i think i'm the top result now and i've never talked to them but i wonder how they feel about that maybe uh you should see if you can get them to sponsor you that'd be fun i hop on over to that website and you can see that high density housing picture right on the front page i make sure it's always there so folks can see it when they show up for the first time so the reason i called you john in the intro for the listeners is i actually interviewed uh kevin briefly about six months ago maybe nine months sure uh, first part of this year about Vancouver Glass, and he was operating under a pseudonym at that time, which, yeah. which was Sean. So uh, why was that? Um, when I launched it, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted it attached to my name, so I wrote it anonymously. But also at the same time, I always felt it was just funnier to have nobody behind it. That way you can't take a joke personally if there's no person behind it. So I kind of just made up this fake name. It was John Swift, and I was very clear from the front that it was just john swift is not a real person don't get mad at him that's just the name i'm writing under take this at face value laugh at it or don't it's not a personal attack on anyone and then as time went on i was like yeah i'm still john swift still writing under john swift and then i was like well wait a second i'm really proud of this now i like this i kind of want to be able to tell people this is me because it was very anonymous like most of my friends didn't even know it was me so i was just like what's what's going on here why am i still doing this as john swift so i just posted a thing saying hey it was me this guy uh, I don't think I'll ever put my actual name on the website because I still think it's funnier if there's no name attached to it. But if you go to like my personal accounts or whatever, I do link to the Vancouver Glass just so people can see. It was me all along. Yeah, well, it's good to see since I last talked to you how popular it's been getting. It's uh, it's growing steadily pretty much since that Vancouver Tips article, I think, is if we're going to knock things into segments. That was the start of a very interesting segment where people really started paying attention to what I was doing which is very nice when you put work into things and people pay attention to it. What's your process for writing those articles? Um, Originally, I had a whole bunch of articles just stockpiled, and I was just like, which one am I going to do this week? Oh, I'll do this one. But I kind of ran out of that master list a long time ago, and I've kind of just been making it up as I go along. So it might just be walking down the street, and I see something, and go, oh, would that be a good article? I go, no, that's dumb. Like, that wouldn't be a good article. And then I'll just keep going. I'm like, would that be a good article? I'm like, that's less dumb. Maybe that'll be a good article. And then just kind of expanding from there. Usually I like to start with the headline and then Photoshop a photo. And then the articles come last. And then that's kind of the process. And then I usually love it, love it, hate it, love it, hate it, post it, see what the reaction is. And then I kind of figure if it was good or not from there. I usually never have any idea how it's going to do until I see how people react. So you mentioned uh, photoshopping there. So you do everything involved with the... 100%. Every piece of that website is me. From literally the website, I went in and like did all the design stuff. Like I found a WordPress theme and I was like, that's kind of cool, but I want to change it to be more like me. So I changed all the theme stuff. The logo was me. Uh, The little banner photo I have on like the Facebook, which is a picture of a seagull at English Bay. I don't know why I use that. I just, I, I, I took it. So I was like, oh, I own the rights to this photo. I'll use this photo. Uh, All the Photoshop, the articles, the headlines, the social media, the interviews with people, all conducted by me. There you go. It's a a solo operation. 
Uh, what's your background to learn all those varied skills? I have no idea. I just kind of pick them up. Photoshop I've been doing since I was like 12. I mean, photography is for me is just pointing and clicking at something interesting. I don't actually know what I'm doing. Uh, headline writing, kind of the same thing, just kind of writing. And if I think it's funny, hopefully other people think it's funny. And I've, it's kind of been proven now that people like it, which is nice. But when I started, it was just, is this funny? Do people think this is funny? And then that's kind of how I gain all my skills, just kind of guessing and checking and guessing and checking. Same with the website stuff. I started doing that when I was like in high school, just for fun. Just kind of thought that'd be kind of a neat skill to learn. Just I'm just a bundle of mostly useless skills until they all come together and form yeah, something. That. Yeah, <laughs> kind of useful. Do you have any other projects under pseudonyms that are not currently released? Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you about them. No. Yeah, me too. It's yeah. There's a, <laughs> this there's is a... this is one of my first uh, publicly named projects. You you live underground. Oh, I li- I live all over the place. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we were underground when we started this, which is why we're called the Cave Goblin Network. Makes sense. Yeah. Underground in a tiny little basement suite. That's actually where I conducted my first interview with Very you nice. over the phone. I was there over the phone. Yeah. I feel like I was part of it. You were just as much there as all the listeners were in season one of this podcast. So it was just me? Uh, you weren't on this podcast before. Oh, was this you the were other on, one? Uh, CRTR Radio on Finding the Funny with Nico McEwen. See, I was just, uh, yeah. just, just to me, it's just Previous chatting guest. with you. That's, yeah, that's what I'm into. Just just a conversation with you. It's nice to put a face to a magazine. Yes. So you host or hosted on Virgin Radio? I did. I did hosted on Virgin Radio. You did hosted past tense. Yeah, I hosted on Virgin Radio. <laughs> Sounds like maybe there's a story there. Which Not really. Into. It's uh, I was at. Uh, it was originally called the Beat ninety four point five, and then it became Vir- ninety four point five Virgin Radio. And I was there for a total of like five and a half years, and uh, then I wasn't. And that was pretty much it. That's kind of just the way radio goes. It's just part of the industry. Sometimes you're there, sometimes you're not. And then you move on and do something else. What kind of content did you play while you were on the radio? Uh, Virgin is strictly top 40 or what is known in the industry as CHR, which stands for Contemporary Hit Radio. So whatever song you've heard 50 times already today, that's probably what you would hear. It's a, it's a cycle of popular music, which is awesome because it's always fresh. And when you're a host, it's really nice to have constant refreshing of music and something different to play every day. Do you have any uh, weird stories of things happening while, while you were live? While I was live? Um, not necessarily while I was live, because I'm a total pro and would never do anything weird live. Um, well, not necessarily you, but callers. And- there's definitely a lot of strange callers. I think one of my favorite callers, and I actually just saw a post I made about this because I was going through my old post. Uh, his name was Time Travel Greg. And I think my favorite thing about Time Travel Greg was that he was all he was all there. He was completely lucid. He was a regular dude. He was just Time Travel Greg who would describe to me like time travel. And I'd have these great conversations with him. And you would think a guy with that name would be a little bit more out there. But he was a very grounded, nice fellow. Is he from another time i have no idea but he would call me from different dimensions and he we would just have conversations and i thought it was the coolest thing that here's this guy calling me from another dimension and he wants to talk to me well time travel greg if you're listening to this right now please get in contact with us love to love to talk to you about time travel and and uh other dimensions yeah there's some anecdotes myself there's a whole bunch of just great and i had them saved and it's i'm kind of disappointed i never got to keep them I just had a whole folder of phone calls that I could never really air because they were like five minutes long of me just talking to characters, just interesting people. And I thought maybe one day I would air them. Also, you were talking to them off the air. Yeah. So everything is recorded there. Like nobody was ever on live with me. Right. Ever. Um, that happens sometimes in radio, but usually it's all pre-recorded so that uh, mostly so you can time out. 
Because when you're in top 40 radio, you have five seconds to talk. And if I want to say, hey, what song do you want to hear? They have to say Katy Perry real quick. And if they um, uh, stammer or whatever, then that kind of ruins it. So they're not really trusted to go on live, which is probably why weird things don't happen live, because it's all very, very cut and very sterile before it gets on there. But really uh, opposite experiences for me when I was uh, in community radio back in Australia. Yeah. I was at the local station, RTR, 92.1, I believe. And I I wasn't allowed to put calls to air because of uh, public radio laws in Australia, but I got some real weirdos in there. And when when I was in there at my 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. time slot... Which is the best time. It's the best time to be able to play a whole Ween album back-to-back and not get any... uh, I love late-night radio for that. It's just its own little world. But yeah, you get some weird hecklers and things, and, and it'd be kind of scary because you go in there, there's no producers, there's no one in the building, no. it's just you running the whole station. I showed up once and there was just no one there. It's like, who is playing the radio right now? Nobody. But uh, some kind of auto DJ. Yeah. DJ Spooky Ghost. So you do some announcing as well. Sure, what kind of announcing are we talking about? On uh, some kind of Rogers website? Oh, I'm, uh, I do, I have a like it's a freelance contract with Rogers for kiss radio. So whenever they kind of need an extra host, whether it's like over the summer or Christmas and they say, Hey Kevin, you know, can you do a week of shows this time? And I say, yeah, sure. Or you know what I'll do is I'll be like, let me check my schedule. Um, so yeah, so I'm still in radio from time to time this summer. I think I did six weeks of shows with kiss and then I'm expecting to talk to them in Christmas when people take holidays and I'll jump back in. And I like to stay fresh on radio. I love radio and it's, it's one of those things where I love it but I can't necessarily do it forever because then you get stuck in this world of just being that radio host. And if you get pigeonholed as a radio host, that's it. You're just a radio host forever, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But I like that you called me a satirist. Maybe you can be a satirist radio host, raconteur. Yeah, because that's just kinds. a different thing. You never even knew I was in radio until you looked it up, right? Yeah, that's true. Which is really cool to me because for like the life of me, anybody who follows me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, they know me as Kevin Getz, radio host. Yeah. But you found out that I'm Kevin Getz, satirist. Well, I mean, I knew you first as John Swift. So. That's true. Even cooler. So Kevin Getz didn't, you didn't exist even know to me, me until recently. Yeah. I, I've still, today, was kept uh, looking up your name on uh, that LinkedIn article because I kept thinking of you as, as John. Yeah. Or just the Vancouver Glass. Tell me about how the Grinch stole Christmas from Vancouver. The greatest project I have ever completed. How the Grinch stole Christmas from Vancouver. Uh, It's a seven minute, I want to say 48 second uh, short animated film that I made in this winter of 2016. That's literally just a reimagining of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but it takes place in Vancouver. So it fully rhymes and it's like 60% the original story in the same kind of same kind of direction. But uh, there are a lot of jokes about Vancouver in there. Uh, mostly about how it's raining instead of snowing at Christmas and people going for a run and doing yoga. But it was a project that I took on myself. And uh, originally it was supposed to be done with a bunch of people, but it didn't work out that way. So I wanted to complete it. I kind of taught myself how to animate in those two months. I kind of wrote it and put it out and released it. And it's the greatest project I've ever completed to date. It will be replaced probably sometime in the next year with a different project. But uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas from Vancouver is something I am very proud of. And actually, I submitted it into a film festival, and it won an award. So I am an award-winning filmmaker. Uh, what was that award? It was the Canada Shorts Film Festival Award of Distinction. So well, that sounds really good. Yeah. So. Someday somebody will introduce me as Kevin Getz, award-winning filmmaker. 
And satirist. And slash satirist. Yeah, and maybe radio host. Maybe. I assume that that project you're alluding to is Bigfoot is real, 100% proof? It is. It's the greatest project I'm ever going to finish after The Grinch. Bigfoot is real, 100% proof is a cartoon I'm making. And if you've ever wanted to make a cartoon, and this advice is for everybody... I'm going to say don't. It's so much work and it's so tedious and there's so many little details and things that go into it. I am uh, doing this with a friend of mine, Jameson, and we're just over a year into production and we still have like nothing to show for it. It's been writing and rewriting and draft one, two, three, four, storyboarding and casting. And we literally just finished uh, recording character dialogue last week and now i'm going through and putting all the dialogue together so it sounds like people are talking to each other and i still don't really have anything i can show people and we're just over a year into production but it will be amazing when it's done what are the release plans for that no idea i i honestly i would give you uh, like a date or even a time i'm hoping for next year but even that might be a stretch because we haven't even started animating and it's just the two of us and we're doing everything and animating takes forever so uh, sometime between now and forever are you both sort of doing everything or have you split up into different? We've kind of tackled what we're good at. So he's uh, definitely a lot stronger with art. So um, he's done a lot of kind of amateur cartoon work himself. So he's very good at doing the art and the character design. So he took that. I'm very good with the sound because I have the background in radio. So I've taken that. We kind of wrote it together and then we kind of meet when we have to meet. And then we kind of don't meet when we don't have to meet. So right now we're at a point where I'm just working on the sound and he's working on the characters and then... I guess at some point, I'm hoping before Christmas, we can get together and work on the animation together. So when will it be released? I don't know, but I'll send you an invite. Cool. Well, I'll be uh, keeping an eye out for that one. Yeah. I've also seen you do some music on YouTube. Wow, you dug deep, man. It, that's uh, I haven't done one of those in a long time. Yeah. I um, Again, another just kind of creative outlet that I wanted to do was just uh, make some weird music on YouTube. I bought a loop pedal so that I can not have to play with a band basically just play a loop of my guitar into the pedal it'll play back at me and then I get to play on top of it and then that went from just playing songs to mashing up other songs to mashing up three songs together to me giving up because I ran out of ideas and that's where you ever done any vocal loops with it like Reggie Watts uh I have but not like Reggie Watts because I'm not that talented well I mean no one's like Reggie Watts. yeah but uh sure I've done some I've I think one of my favorite things to do is do like a, a Sam Smith choir in the background so like whenever I sing, I have like myself as a choir sing behind me. That's kind of fun. I don't think I ever recorded any of that, but a loop pedal is a great way to spend a day if you ever have one. I had one for a short time, uh, and then I sold it for rent money back in a back in an old different chapter of my life. Uh, who are some of your inspirations for your creative work? Um, I definitely grew up watching a lot of like The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert with their hard-hitting news, which isn't hard-hitting, but it's jokes and it's kind of just fun to watch. Uh, a lot of different just like stand-up comedians. I really enjoyed um, like Dimitri Martin was always kind of fun. Just I, I just kind of like a comedy sponge just kind of took it in and I never even really thought of myself as a guy who could do funny things until many years into watching comedy and I was like, well, could I do this? just like everything else apparently in my life was, can I do this? And then just trying it and seeing what happened. And apparently it's gone fairly well. Even when I got into radio, I never thought I'd be a guy on radio who's, you know, quote unquote, the funny guy until like my second year in radio school. And I was like, it's a lot easier when you're funny. Why don't more people just try and be funny? So that's kind of just the direction I went. It was a lot more fun being funny. And apparently it worked out. So you studied radio? I did. Yeah, there's actually a thing called radio school, which is always a 
mind-blowing thing for certain people. Uh, it's a two-year course. They're very popular. There's one at BCIT here. Uh, the one I went to is in Humber, just outside of Toronto. And it's a radio course. So the first year, you kind of learn everything about radio, radio, on-air, production, sales, news, uh, writing, and a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and then second year, you kind of get to focus on what you want to focus on. And I was like, I want to be on-air. So I focused on the on-air side of radio. And uh, there's a radio station in the school, and you get weekly or bi-weekly radio shows, and you get to go on and practice, and then go to like announcing class once a week and have somebody critique your on-air work, and then the idea is to improve to a point you can get a job. If you want to just try out doing radio, you can uh, go over to CITR. did, uh, I think, something like three days of training there, and then um, I could start helping out on shows and that's going awesome. on shows. It's a good way to try it. I mean, I, I had some experience from Australia, but very little. But that's awesome. I love that. And because there are so many people you talk to when they find out, you know, you work or worked in radio and they're like, oh, I always thought I could do really good in radio. I'm like, well, try it. There are places you can just try it and see what it's like. And maybe you'll learn you're really good at it, or maybe you'll learn it's very hard and people just make it look very easy. That's and also a possibility. On the other side of that same coin, uh, when you think like, how do these people make it look so easy? Almost 100% of the time, when the mics are off, someone's freaking out. Not 100% of the time. <laughs> Almost at least, at least not, you know. In community radio yeah. when no one's getting paid? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> There's a lot more of it. I can tell maybe you. Maybe that's just in my experience yeah, with no formal training. There was a lot of uh, downtime, feet up on a desk, on the internet, surfing Twitter or whatever, just kind of chill and then go on air, do a five-second break, especially in Top 40 radio where, like, you can have an hour well, that's a well-oiled uh, machine. Oh, yeah. It was a well-oiled machine. So we, we had pros at every point. Every corner, there's, you know, the, the person who puts the music in is a pro. You don't have to worry about the music failing. The person who put the commercials in is a pro. You don't have to worry about the commercials failing. My job was literally just, here's Ariana Grande. Well, that sounds nice. Yeah. It was, <laughs> the, like, the greatest gig you can get. <laughs> when I was in that community radio station back in Australia, I did literally everything. You know, letting people in, being on the air, playing the music, putting the music in, planning the show. Yeah. Answering the phone, fixing things if stuff breaks. And yeah, if, if something went on fire, I guess I would have to go over with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Now, see, the problem is some people see stories like mine where they're like, oh, that sounds easy. I could do that. But what they don't realize is that everybody in radio starts at a station like what you described. Yeah. When I started, I started in Chilliwack and I was the everything guy. I think I, my, I actually had the title of assistant promo coordinator or something. And all that meant was that when I'm not on air, I do anything they want me to. I, one of my jobs was literally I had to go pick up kids from high schools. We had three different high schools in Chilliwack. I had to drive to each one, pick them up, bring them to the station so that they could record like the Chilliwack High School Minute or something and talk about what's going on in school and then drive them back. And that was my day on like Wednesdays. You'd think the school would cover that. You would think somebody would cover it, but that, no, they're like, no, don't worry. We have Kevin. Kevin will go drive and spend his entire day in traffic bringing kids to and from school to the radio station. Well, that's uh, important radio skills. Yeah, that's where you start. You build up those skills, and then if you get really lucky, someday somebody will bring you to a big market, and you can just sit around and say, Here, here's Ariana Grande. I feel like you've said that a lot. Too. In my lifetime, I have. But you know what? It's awesome, because Ariana Grande is great. Best ponytail in the biz. Top 10 for sure. For anyone on CITR, thanks so much for tuning in. That's the end of our time slot, but you can hear the full episode along with other podcasts on cavegoblins.com. For anyone else, stick around. We've still got lots more to talk about with Kevin. Before the show, I asked Kevin about a comedic influence to talk about today, and he came back with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. So what do they mean to you? They are the dream. The absolute dream that I don't know if anybody else will ever achieve, but if anybody does, I sure hope it's me as either both of them or me with a friend of mine because they 
created this show and that's what they lived off of, right? They made this show. They pitched it to Fox. Fox said, like, no, we don't want it. They pitched it to Comedy Central. Comedy Central said, sure, run with it. And that was like 20-something years ago. And it's their show through and through. They came up with a concept. They write it. They did, like, the character design for it. They, like, direct it. They're part of the animation. They do a little bit of everything. Fingerprints of theirs are everywhere. And as much as that sounds like it's so much work, that sounds like so much fun. So that's kind of a huge influence on me and what I'd love to do. And on top of that, they do whatever they want, which is great. And not just like for the show, but if they want to make a Broadway musical, they make a Broadway musical. They want to make a feature film with marionettes. They do that and they do it well. And it's just, it's, it's such a great influence to see that and be like, yeah, one day that'd be really cool. But I'm very realistic and understand that that's not necessarily a reality. Well, uh, you're, taking steps there especially with this uh, bigfoot is real project yeah so i kind of think that's a nice transition i've always loved cartoons and cartoon work because it's a world where anything can happen that you want so when i had some free time and i was looking for creative outlet i was like is it time to make a cartoon i had made the how the grinch stole christmas from vancouver just kind of and i to see if i could animate and do things like that and it worked out well so bigfoot is real 100 proof is the first steps into cartoon for me, the first real serial kind of episodic adventure. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe it'll get picked up by Comedy Central. Yeah, he's hoping. Yeah. So I usually ask guests how they first came across uh, their influence, but I assume South Park? South Park was a fun one because I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. It was uh, one of those shows that, uh, for obvious reasons, I don't remember. Do we know what year South Park came on? I want to say like, 99 2000 or something it was uh 2001 it was at the 98 at the earliest 97 because yeah. i was in the third grade i'm gonna say that's my guess is 98 i was in the third grade when season one yeah. was on so yeah 90, 97 98 and so, it probably came out here before australia so late 90s so i was i was young and i was not allowed to watch it um but i'm gonna guess that the first time I ever saw it was because my brother was allowed to watch it, but it aired at midnight, so he wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. But we had a couple VHS tapes of recordings, and I'm pretty sure I found one of those recordings and watched a couple episodes. And I mean, if you've seen the earlier seasons, you know it's not, they didn't hadn't quite hit their stride, but that's probably the first exposure to South Park. And then uh, I think in high school, I got like the DVDs, started watching that some more. And then it wasn't really till even years later that I look back and realize, wow, that actually kind of influenced me a bit not necessarily because they're kind of crude and offensive at times but I think more so just the work ethic and the dream of wanting to create something and have it be yours and embody it and bring it everywhere with you is just a really cool plan that I'm working on eventually do you have a favorite episode there are great moments if I had to pick a favorite episode maybe though I don't even know what the name of it is uh the one where Cartman thinks he's dead and Butters is the only one that can see him yeah we know the episode. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the name of it is, but that's uh, that's one of my favorite episodes. A lot of Cartman and Butters episodes, like Casa Bonita, another fantastic episode. You know that uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone bought Casa Bonita? Did they buy it? Yeah. So they made when they made that uh, episode, they wanted to use Casa Bonita in it because it's their favorite episode. Yeah. In Col- it's their favorite restaurant in Colorado. Yeah. And they sent this uh, legal waiver to Casa Bonita and they straight away like, no, we don't want to get involved with South Park. And until uh, they were told that, no, it's completely complimentary. They love the place. And yeah, so the rest is history for them. But 
And that's what uh, I love about the South them too. Park restaurant. And then I, th- I think that they own it. Maybe I skimmed that. But I had always heard that uh, on days that that Casa Bonita episode airs, the actual restaurant is notified so that they can be prepared for an influx of customers like the next day, which is hilarious. I'd like to go see it. it right? The cliff divers yeah. and stuff. It, sound, it sounds unreal. It, it, it actually sounds so unreal. Most people, I think, don't even know it exists until someone tells them, no, it's a real place. And that's actually what their birthdays were like. Well, South Park is also a real place. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's such a weird kind of cartoon world on purpose, but there's a lot of reality. And I think that's also kind of what makes it fun is that it is kind of this outlandish, but grounded satire type story. Well, it definitely got more into the satire in the later seasons they were they were always kind of there it was definitely i think a lot more broad in the beginning or maybe we were too young to really understand a lot of what they were talking about but it was always there but they definitely got a lot more topical with their satire in the more recent seasons which i don't even know if i've seen one of the most recent seasons the most recent season is the one where uh mr garrison becomes president okay the one before that i think was the last season i saw they wrote that whole season leading up thinking hillary was going to win yeah and then they had to change it basically last minute. Have but you that, seen the, uh, there's a mini like mini documentary called Six Days to Air. It's on the internet. It's on YouTube somewhere. Um, and it basically just follows the South Park team and their process over the course of six days creating an episode. Because that's what they do. They write the episode, they direct the episode, animate, voice, do everything in, in six days. And then they get it on air like a couple hours before it needs to actually be on air. Like they turn it into the studio. Sounds like a personal nightmare. but It's, I mean, it's... It, it's it's kind of a, like a, a much blown up, more stressful version of what I do with the Vancouver Glass because I have one article every six days and I go through that process of I have nothing, I have nothing, I have nothing, I have something, I hate it, I have nothing, I have something, okay, does it work, I have no choice, I'm running out of time, okay, put it on air, hopefully people like it. And that's and it's it's an interesting, when I watch that documentary, I uh, I feel for them on a personal level. What's your favorite episode of South Park? See, I'm not sure, but I think South Park really peaked at the Make Love Not Warcraft episode. Yeah. That was sort of the the fan favorite, at least in my school. And uh, South Park had a weird place in my school in that I went to a religious boarding school. Yeah. And our religious teachers knew that there was no point teaching us religion, so they would just show us South Park religious episodes. That is a very interesting religious school. Yeah. I think that's the one thing they would be interested in teaching. Uh, y- you know how it is. Well, isn't that the yeah, whole no. point? Yeah, well, the school is not there to teach religion. It's to make. It was a private school. It was to make money for gotcha. shareholders. Okay. It was a private religious school, private first. All right, I understand. And they showed the Mormonism episode and the Scientology episode yep. in there. So I guess That's they're, they're using it for some yeah. like anti-non-Anglican propaganda. Sure. Uh, but that episode is so good, the Joseph Smith one with the, the historical fiction there. Yeah. And that led, obviously, to them making the... Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon, which, which is amazing. I, no spoilers, because I know it's been out for years, but I know one day I'll see it, and I have I have not learned anything about you can it so watch, far. You can watch a, a cam rip of it. Online, I know I yeah. found it, but I figure I should go see it in person. And Josh Gad is in that one, so that's... Oh, that's nice. Uh, so, speaking of the Scientology crossover... Sure, let's go there. So, you know... You do? Do you want to come and sit down yeah, with a come microphone? Sit. Let's chat about South Park. Because it's going to be really hard to edit around your voice if you're not on a microphone. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I love South Park. Okay. Sure. I pulled uh, from an interview uh, with Doug Herzog, who's the producer of South Park, Matt Stone, Trey Parker, and Isaac Hayes III, who is Isaac Hayes' son. Okay. Uh, the now past Isaac Hayes. You know, there was all that controversy that 
uh, Isaac Hayes, the voice of Chef, left yep. after the Scientology episode. Yep. Well, uh, learning about that now, it's actually a little deeper than that. And I'll just read out this interview. Uh, so this is Herzog. I never heard from Tom Cruise's camp about the infamous 2005 episode Trapped in the Closet, in which the star is depicted hiding in an actual closet, refusing to get out. But we did our best to let everyone know that it was coming. I let the people over at Paramount, which is Comedy Central's sister company that has Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible franchise in it. He let them know, gave them a heads up, but I think everyone understands Matt and Trey are going to do what they're going to do. And then Matt Stone says, When we did the Scientology episode, Isaac Hayes, who was a Scientologist, came over and I sat with him. It was like a day or two after, and it was pretty obvious from the conversation that somebody had sent him to ask us to pull the episode. It had already gone on the air, and when we didn't tell him because... We didn't want him to be held accountable. Plausible deniability. Four months after Closet airs, Hayes quit the show via a statement supposedly in protest. And then this is Hayes III, who is Isaac Hayes' son. Isaac Hayes did not quit South Park. Someone quit South Park for him. What happened was that in January 2006, my dad had a stroke and lost the ability to speak. He really didn't have that much comprehension, and he had to relearn to play the piano and a lot of different things. He was in no position to resign under his own knowledge. At the time, everybody around my father was involved in Scientology, his assistants, the core group of people. So someone quit South Park on Isaac Hayes' behalf, and we don't know who. And then Matt Stone says, we sort of figured out the whole picture a bit later, but that's totally what happened. Well, that sounds like a conspiracy, don't it? Yeah. It sure does. And I'm very suspicious. I had never heard that before. I'm very suspicious about that. Talia's, uh, this is Talia Murdoch from Everything Economics, used to uh, recording in your in your vacuum, in your Westminster bubble. I'm used to recording head. with my script, so this is me off script. What's your favourite Talking about episode? one of my favourite shows ever. Um, I don't know if I can pin it down to a favourite episode either, but I knew that you were coming on here to talk about South Park and like the creators of South Park, and it just kind of made me think straight away when you were talking about how hard it is to animate. One of their early episodes is when they're making that Christmas episode and they're like, we're going to make a cartoon about Christmas. And they're animating and they're just cutting out little mouths and stuff and they're talking about how hard it is. And I remember even just watching that as a little kid because I think everyone who is is kind of like in our age group was not allowed to watch South Park but either snuck out to watch it or did it dangerously against their parents. I remember even just watching that and thinking like, wow. They're talking about what they do. It's so hard, but they do it every week. So that's definitely an episode that sticks with me. Kind of gives you a little insight into the world of animating. Yeah. And just for more insight, typically there are 24 frames in a second. So if you're animating, especially by hand with like cardboard cutouts, if you want one second of footage, you need to take 24 photos. Yes, which and is insane. There are 60 seconds in a minute yep. and so on and so on. So to make a 22-minute episode requires a lot of work they don't do it all by hand now luckily computers have progressed to the point where it's a lot easier but uh, they explain in that documentary i mentioned earlier uh six days to air that they still kind of do it stop motion animated style just with the computer and that's also what yeah. helps them make episodes in six days is the fact that it is kind of cheap kind of cartoony low budget looking style and it really helps them do things fast if you're interested in learning more about animation, a friend of mine, Curtis Carey, has a great podcast and stream on Twitch called uh, No Such Thing as Grown Ups. You can check that one out. He's an animator at the company I work at, and he's had like a million years of experience or something. 
It feels like that when you're animating. He's a beast. When you animate like seven minutes worth of content and it takes you two months and you look back at it and be like, that's all? That's all I got? And then when you have to start cutting things because you don't need them or they don't fit and you're like, I made all that, I animated all that and I need to edit for time or something. It's a process that you love and you hate at the same time. Or at least I do. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of their other projects. Sure. Uh, this is one I haven't seen, Cannibal the Musical. I've never even heard of that. It's based on a real-life story of a cannibal prospector in the Old West. That sounds like them, sure. And it has 10 <laughs> show tunes in it. So I want to check that one out. I was hoping someone had seen it. Have you seen it? No, Talia? I haven't seen it. Next, Orgasmo. I had, I have seen that a long, long time ago. Before I really even knew it was them, it was just a bad movie to watch. But looking like it is, I think they even appear in it. But, the, uh, well, the main character, Orgasmo, is Trey Parker. Yeah, but a very young, young Trey Parker. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've seen, if not all of that, most of that. It's a weird one. I like that one. It's got some pretty dated humor in it yeah. that uh, doesn't stand up so much anymore. Uh, but Basketball was a, a big Classic. one for me. Yeah. Year 2000. I remember that was like the first like real grown up comedy I watched. Aren't they like it, it bugs me how whatever they want to do, they do it so well and they like never do the same thing twice. Yeah. And that's kind of annoying because talented people like that being all talented, share some of that talent with the rest of us. I think it's just also because they produce South Park, which is so outrageous. Yeah. And it just takes stereotypes and it puts it onto paper. It makes it look ridiculous. So they can kind of do anything after that. If they can get a fan base based on being so But it's it's like it's outlandish. not like even they're like just making random things for the sake of making things. They make them and they're like usually good. They're great, yeah. yeah. They do it so well. They've just got that confidence inside of them, I think. I think it helps that they it's just the two of them, right? They don't have to worry about yes. you know, pissing anybody off or doing anything to upset people because they know at the end of the day it's just the two of them and everybody else is just a team to help them basically. And I think that helps when they don't have to, you know, give in or concede creative ideas to other people. They can just yeah. do it themselves. And as long as they're good at it, people are going to let them keep doing it. They did used to have issues early on with Doug Herzog, who we were talking about before, when because they're so overworked by their own design, they accidentally slipped the word shit into an episode without oh, meaning no. to. And this was way before yeah. shows were saying shit and in even a midnight time slot. And... I think famously Trey Parker got a call from Herzog saying, did you just say shit on my network? And then after that, when they realized there was no fallout and people liked it, they made that episode where they had the shit counter yeah, on the bottom left yeah. and they said shit, uh, shit, fuck, etc., me, crub, until they uh, summoned a bunch of demons. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, they meet the guy one. in the back of the McDonald's. Kind of an interesting world to see what it would be like if South Park never did that sort of thing. Because they definitely pushed a lot of boundaries in television and animation and they did it with a bunch of you know adorable little children which just makes it that much more fun who somehow haven't aged in 20 years just have to remind yourself that they're are they nine they're fourth graders right yeah when south park started i was the same age as them yeah <laughs> uh because it was i was in grade three and so were they team america Fuck yeah. which yeah. i mean who decides they're gonna make a full feature length film with marionettes that i think they definitely regretted that one after they got started that's another one where it's like haha that'll be funny and then holy smokes that's a lot of work and then uh wow we're happy we're done and maybe that's why they never do the same thing twice because they work it to death and then never want to do it again yeah because it's kind of like animating but you're doing it live yeah when it's, you're doing it's pretty much exactly what it is 
Uh, that was a, a huge one, uh, at least in, in my little private school bubble. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the most overquoted to death, like obviously the Matt Damon. Yeah. For the listeners who don't know, and I'm sure most of you do, the story with that is they would get waivers from celebrities. Here's a, here's a tack on fun fact from that. The reason they do that is in South Park, Bigger, Better, and Uncut, they used Conan O'Brien's voice, and they they make him uh, do some stuff, and if you haven't seen it, because I think you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. No, I haven't seen that Oh, okay, one. you both need to watch yeah. it. I won't say what happens to Conan O'Brien, okay. but then he called them afterwards upset because they didn't ask him because he would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know and, the story, though. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so he gave them permission to do what they did, but he was just upset he couldn't take part. So they started asking celebrities originally when they would use celebrities in south park they tried not to be like uh the simpsons and outright say who they are their first their first celebrity guest was george clooney and he played stan's dog yeah and just barked and then they had i think danny devito was cartman's cat which is the funniest thing ever you have like george clooney danny devito yeah yeah we'll have you on sure you want to play the dog but yeah then they got clooney again in team america uh playing in an idiot version of himself they're all caricatured versions of themselves and when they asked matt damon's agent if they could use him they said you can use his name but they can't even say anything so they have the character in the movie a lot just saying his name matt damon matt damon (laughs) matt damon creative ways to get around limitations i also think they know that it's good for them if they become a meme yeah it wasn't wasn't called a meme back then no i I think a lot of the celebrities love it yeah I mean, with no better people to be on the good side of than Matt and Trey, right? You don't yeah. want to necessarily be on their bad side. And the only side. people getting upset are people like Tom Cruise, who's yeah. a, yes, some kind of mystical sorcerer and, anyway. There's really and nothing show. better to do. If they make fun of you, just, you know, haha, laugh at it, move on. It's the best thing to do. Just lean into it. Yeah. Uh, so talking about bigger, better, and uncut, I think this is interesting coming from last week when I talked to Sam Tonning. We talked a lot about Phil Collins, because he's a big fan, and I'm also a big fan and there is a running joke in South Park where they make Phil Collins into this horrible monster who they hate, and he's always holding an Oscar. And that's because Phil Collins won uh, Best Motion Picture Soundtrack for Tarzan in the same year that they were nominated for Bigger, Better, and Uncut, yeah. which is an excellent soundtrack, really good show tunes, but you just can't beat Phil Collins' Tarzan soundtrack. No. What else are you working on right now? Um, there's the cartoon. There's the website. Those are the two big ones that I'm working on. Uh, but I'm just going to, I'm going to drop one more point about the South Park movie that I never oh, saw. Please do. Yeah. Please do. Okay. I haven't seen it because when it came out, I wasn't allowed to see it. And I think my brother got to go see it, but I was not. And then I kind of forgot about it. But then I remembered, Hey, I can watch it now. I'm, I'm old. So, uh, I think I'm going to go watch it. I just kind of forgot about it cause I was never allowed to see it. And it was just like, Oh, when it came up, it's like, Oh, I'm not allowed to watch that. I'm not allowed to watch that. But no, I don't live at home anymore. I can do whatever I want. So I think I'm going to go watch it. It's got some good anti-Canada rhetoric in it. Which is always good, right? And uh, just lean some into excellent it. show tunes. Yeah. Those guys love their show tunes. We should watch the um, Halloween party episode. You know, Satan has his Satan birthday. Satan has his party. 16. Yeah. Oh, that is a good one. So is there an, how can uh, our listeners find you online? Oh, online. Okay, good. Because I wasn't going to answer that question if it wasn't online. Um, Twitter, at Kevin underscore Getz uh facebook i think it's just kevin gets page really if you just google kevin gets there's only one other kevin gets he owns a painting store in like indiana don't bother talking to him he's not interested in giving you the kevin gets twitter handle without the underscore or at least that's all i've learned um i'm not hard to find 
you can follow me. I post fun things from time to time. If you're finding a website to buy paint or glass, you've gone the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, that was Kevin Getz of the Vancouver Glass talking about Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Join me next week when I talk to Gavin Clarkson about Leslie Nielsen. To save me doing a little ad for your podcast, why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about everything? For myself. Yeah, everything economics. Okay, so I'm Talia Murdoch, host of Everything Economics. Think of it as economics with a cause. Total disclaimer, I'm a socialist, so economics is not just about money. My last episode was about superheroes and economics. You can find that on our website or everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you're a creator, if you make animation, reach out. I can I can analyze your universe and write an episode about you. Great. So that's economics from the opposite viewpoint of Trey Parker and Matt Stone, staunch libertarians. Yeah. Opposite's yeah. probably not right. Different. Different. We live in a complex world. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's why I host the uh, comedy podcast. Let's say opposite. Work. Let's say opposite. Well, thanks so much for coming, Kevin. Thanks for the invite. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Cave Goblins and check out what we're doing over on cavegoblins.com. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's absolutely the best way to support the show at no cost. You can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist. I'm Doug Vandelay. See you next time.